0: Hey, it's Coin Talk, that show that's about crypto, but not really about the price or the technology. Who knows what it's about? It's about good hoaxes, actually. Uh, this week, we are talking about an affair that I have uh, subsequently dubbed Excerptoshi, where a piece of writing appeared online that purported to be an excerpt from a book that would be published in, I think, the near future uh, by Satoshi himself, the uh, pseudonymous creator of Bitcoin. I don't think it's that interesting to debate whether this is real or not, although I was actually surprised how many people online uh, were giving it some credence. But I do think it's interesting to look at this as a piece of writing. Uh, Myself and my co-host, Jay Kang, are both great fans of hoaxes, and I think it actually says a lot about who... The real Satoshi may be. Not necessarily like, oh, is it Nick Sabo? Is it Hal Finney? But what has this person been up to? It's been a lot of quiet years. Uh, so Jay and I had kind of a speculative discussion, um, both about the details from the excerpt document and uh, our own thoughts about uh, what this shadowy figure must have been up to. We brought you in partnership with Medium. Hey, I know I have to tell you about Medium every week, but I want to give you a different idea than I normally do about Medium. If you are holding coins, or perhaps you're thinking about buying uh, some into some projects, what I recommend you do is make a Medium account. It's free. It takes two seconds. And you'll find that most of these projects have Medium accounts and use them as their communication. Go follow those projects. You'll have an amazing feed that really gives you updates as to what's happening with all of the projects you're interested in. Uh, you can also find great writing about crypto at me.dm slash crypto. That is medium's crypto landing page. Okay, let's do this.
1: This episode of Coin Talk was taped Tuesday, July 3rd at 3 p.m.
0: Eastern Standard Time. The Bitcoin price index was six thousand five hundred and seventy-two dollars.
1: So okay, you done with that change first? No, but I'm not gonna finish it. You're
0: gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna eat that a second time.
1: Well, look, th- there, this, this Chinese place near your the Crypto Cave, yeah, is generally very reliable for like B minus takeout Chinese food, which is actually the type of Chinese food I prefer.
0: Now let me ask you a question: uh, it, Does anything get less than a B minus in all of New York
1: City? If that's a B minus, ah, yeah, really, definitely, yeah. So you've
0: got, you've been to. Chinese restaurants worse than the one across. Okay, let France.
1: me just, let me just clear this up here, yeah. which is that there are three types of Chinese restaurants in New York city, right? Yep. Yeah. There's good Chinese restaurants that are mostly in Flushing and in some parts of Chinatown, Authentic. Say. Midtown has a few of them. Sure. Not necessarily authentic, but they're just kind of places where Chinese people go and they're good. Yeah. And then there's all the takeout places, many of which have like bulletproof glass. Yeah, all I, those. Range, anywhere
0: that has wings on the menu. Yeah, right? exactly. I, like I you can, one of those.
1: The places. most common order is fried wings and fried rice, right? Combo. Yes. Those places I think are all about the same. And then there's a worst type of Chinese restaurant, which is trying to bridge the gap between those two.
0: Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. You're drawing a distinction where you're like uh, intention
1: intentionality is important. So, for example, there's one I think. Uh, Like on 12th and 2nd Avenue in Manhattan, that I went to, that was horrific. And I was like, Well, you're, you know, (laughs) you're trying too hard. Just fucking go behind the bulletproof glass and start (laughs) the fucking wings, you know? This isn't working. Those are all worse than a B minus. I would say those are all about a D.
0: Well, okay, this is a good segue because the show that we're gonna do today is involved in uh, fakers, fakery. And what happens when you try to create a uh, alternate clone of something?
1: It's, it's quite a stretch of a segue, but I'm gonna. Lie hey, it. hey, <laughs>
0: segue, segue if, if it if it's not a stretch, it's not a segue. Okay, but uh, before we get to that, actually, I wanted to ask you: Did you see that stuff that came out about Zcash and like the uh, executive compensation for Zuc- Zuko? The, uh, saw, the leader well, of the like Zcash a, project. I saw
1: the kerfuffle. Yeah. On Twitter.
0: I'm always curious about how the the faces behind these projects interact with both the technology, the price, and the perception of it being a shit coin or a legit project.
1: Well, so before we start, why, why yeah. don't you tell us who Zuko is?
0: So, Zuko is, as I understand it, I believe he is the head. Uh, he is, well, actually, I don't really know. What's his official title? Do you know? I
1: think he's the. Chief engineer and more or less the face of Zcash.
0: He's the fig. He's certainly the figurehead of Zcash. And this gets into weird stuff where, like, I've referred to Ricardo Spagni as the founder of Monero. He's not the founder of Monero. He is. We don't have a great word for it. It would be CEO if this was the business world, but it's not exactly like a CEO because you're not brought on by a board and you can't be, like, deposed in that same kind of a manner. It's not exactly a job.
1: Yeah, and Zcash, I think, was similar in that it was the compilation of several cryptographic projects that academics were mostly doing under different names, and they all got kind of composed together, or lumped in together with to start Zcash, which I think is around the time when Zuko came into the project. So it wasn't like Zcash was named Zcash because his name starts with a z i don't think.
0: I I uh, as far as I know the z uh the z overlap is uh purely uh coincidental yeah. although that would be good for the conspiracy minded out there. But there you know there's a whole foundation for zcash that has a lot of big name crypto people on it. Uh, Matthew Green the cryptographer that we both really like from Johns Hopkins works on zcash. So it's not like he is the only person associated with this project but if you were to pair, I always like, I have a little chart in our back end. We have a weird little like uh, spreadsheet and I like have a field for like one person associated with each coin. And I think it's really important who that one person is. And in the case of Zcash, it's absolutely Zuko. He is the face of Zcash. Now, have you thought about like what kind of compensation these people who are the face of coins are getting?
1: there's two models right so yeah. the, under the first model one would expect that they get a ton of it where most of the coins are for them so you look at something like ripple and the amount that's held for like the people who started ripple right. or even worked at ripple early is staggering
0: yeah. and and that's a company we're talking about the a company, company yeah. ripple yeah, yeah. not but, the currency but but even XRP. the
1: former head of it the former ceo when yeah. he was the richest man in the world that Briefly. was like for like 18 minutes or something like that but a good 18 minutes you know That's what I would assume a lot of these shitcoin or altcoin things are based on, is this idea that the founders get a ton of the money.
0: Well, when we look at the scandals that we've talked about in the show, whether it's Skycoin, uh, my own beloved SumoCoin, uh, <laughs> a lot of times when the thing catches on fire, it's because it turned out that the people behind the project were had their hand in the cookie jar and were taking more money than they had claimed out of the pre-mined or pre-set-aside coins.
1: So that's my baseline assumption is that, right? Uh, There are other projects like Ethereum or Bitcoin where I assume, uh, mostly mined coins, right, that where I feel like most likely the founder has some smaller percentage of it, but that they aren't leveraging the entire project so that they get rich uh, immediately, that they are proceeding in good faith. And that would be the second time. Both types, though, I would say I would expect the founder to be having to get a lot of money. I'd expect all the founders of any mildly successful coin to be rich.
0: Well, okay, so two previous examples that I've thought about this. Charlie Lee divested himself of all of his Litecoin. It's a very kind w- way to put it, but yes. <laughs> divested for profit <laughs> from Litecoin at high. And <laughs> at, at, a, at a market high, he took one for the team and sold all of his Litecoin. Yeah. And his reasoning made sense to me, which was every time uh, he did anything, it was like affecting the price and he was getting accused of shilling his own bag, basically making decisions to enrich himself. So he decided to subvert that by enriching himself, yeah, I know that Ricardo Spagni, who runs monero, i don't I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, Spagni Spagni, has said, like, you know, I actually don't have that much Monero. The amount of Monero I have is like overblown. like I don't have any like particularly and also another note is that Ricardo Spagni went to consensus with a million dollar wristwatch yeah. on, so whether these guys, sometimes it's kind of hard to tell because it's like I assume if you are uh, any of these guys that we've just talked about, you're probably also a Bitcoin whale. Like these are all people who are like involved in Bitcoin yeah. very early on, so it would be hard to decide. Like it, it, when you show up with a million dollar wristwatch, is like, is that a Bitcoin wristwatch or a Monero wristwatch?
1: What's the difference?
0: Well, the difference is I think in the public perception of what it means to lead one of these projects. And what it means if, okay, in the case of Zuko, it was revealed uh, that he receives about uh, 1%, I think, of the
1: Zcash. 0.9%.
0: 0.9% of the Zcash. Is that the yearly mining he receives 1% of?
1: He receives about... $3.6 $3.6 million a year in Zcash. Yeah,
0: I think about 20% of it is reserved for like the founders, all foundation yeah. and all the people who split it. And of that, he has about one 20th, which gives him about 1% of the overall, which I'll say when people were freaking out about this online, I was like, it doesn't seem
1: like that much. 1% of all of the currency? 1% seems like a lot.
0: $3.6 million a year to be the public face of Zcash doesn't seem like outrageous.
1: Well, I don't know. Okay, so what we're sort of dancing around here, right, is the idea of whether or not there is a acceptable level taste wise almost yeah. for a founder to be profiting in an early stage for a project that doesn't really exist and that is supposed to be about like decentralized revolution of the economy.
0: Wait, well Zcash exists. People use Zcash, people no, they mine don't.
1: Zcash. Yeah, but it, like when that, was, when that how many how many like shielded secure, anonymous e-cash transactions okay. you think that I don't think been... it's fully
0: mature, but if Edward Snowden is out saying your project is great, that is at least a marketing success.
1: Yeah. A lot of people said nice things about Theranos, too.
0: Well, it takes a public <laughs> figure, I guess I'm saying, to go around to sure. crypto conferences all year, and I don't expect that he was doing that shit for free. Now, does he deserve $3.6 million? I think that's an interesting debate to have, but Within a factor of, let's say, like 1 to 100, you could have told me that he was making $300,000 a year, $3 million a year, $30 million a year, $300 million a year. I mean, some of these people who are doing ICOs are pulling in three million dollars on more than $3 million on their first day at work.
1: I agree with you that the entire range is there and that, in fact, I would have put the, the floor... The yeah. bottom most least possible at three point five million dollars. Oh, year. really? Yeah. So yeah. you know,
0: you if you had found out he was doing it for three hundred thousand dollars a year, you would have been like, "What a moron!"
1: I'd have been like, "Why are you doing this? <laughs> What's yeah, the
0: point?" Well, it's also like if you're Zuko, like, like I know he's got kids. We both got kids. It's like if you're actually only making like a couple hundred thousand dollars a year on Zcash, Zuko could go out and like do a like Zcash fork right now and be like, "It's like Zuko Coin," and easily make. Many millions of dollars, people would buy that in a second, or he could go. People bought Zcash, classic Z Classic. (laughs) He
1: could could walk up to Goldman Sachs and be like, Hey, I only make three hundred thousand dollars a year. Can you use me on whatever crypto stuff that you're doing? And they would, they would like 10 times his salary immediately. I mean, like, 3.5 million dollars a year is a lot, yeah, it is about uh, what you would make as like a maybe below-average backup point guard in the NBA, Yeah, it's really not that much. He's not even
0: making, like, Nick Young money.
1: No, definitely not.
0: That's kind of my
1: bar. He's making, like, a little bit less than DeMarcus Cousins just signed for the Golden State Warriors. And, like, for crypto, when you have people who are starting projects that literally don't exist, you know, where you can't send a transaction in the way that you can with Zcash, and those people are making nine figures, this seems kind of, like, small. I mean, if you were good to name, like, the top 10 people in crypto who are the most important and the most reported on and the most well-known, he would be in the top 10. Yeah, oh, you know? yeah. And it's not like some small shit coin or something like that. If Ricardo Spagni is walking around with a million-dollar watch, one would assume that he makes more than $3.5 million a year or he's, like, horrible <laughs> with money. Charlie Lee cashed out for nine figures, right? Like, out yeah. of Litecoin. So, But, like, th-
0: but those are not... I mean, I, there is a distinction between people who are massive hodling whales and people who are ex- receiving, like, compensation for their okay, but employment. I don't
1: understand why people are so mad about this. Like, it, it, it doesn't seem like that much money. I'm sure at some point, Aaron, like, maybe, oh, let's say, like, seven months ago... You and I might have, like, conceptualized that maybe we would make $3.5 <laughs> $3. million in crypto. We still might. <laughs> I, I remember <laughs> I the odds at very, very low. But, like, well, I don't this is per that, year. This is also a
0: per year. Sure. So he's going to walk away, like, over the arc of Zcash, let's say he's going to walk away with $10 to 20, $20 million maybe in compensation. I'm actually, I agree with you. I think it, it is appropriate. And I think the incentives are properly aligned, which is to say he didn't set a salary of $3.5 million for himself. He set a salary of a percentage of the mine of Zcash. And it's because Zcash has been able to establish legitimacy and establish value that that's worth $3.5 million. And that is in no small part due to his efforts.
1: It's better than having him own 30% of the coins and then dump it on everybody when it pumps. You know, Like, like this actually does seem like a incentive structure in the way that it is paid out month by month where it actually prevents him from trying to artificially pump it up and dump it right like it, it makes sure that he is somewhat invested over some long period of time now that might not be the same as if like you and i started a tech startup and we didn't have a product and we we're getting vc funding et cetera, et cetera. but like in reality if you and i were doing that we might be and it was a project as successful with as much hype as zcash we probably be making $3.5 million a year, you know? So, like, I don't find, like, of all the offensive things in crypto, I don't understand why this is, like, even scratching the surface of I offenses. think
0: that we are, we're moderates, Jay. Did you know that? We're, like, crypto moderates. Yeah, did somebody tell you that? No, I, well, I I realized that after I interviewed Seyfedin. Oh, okay. I realized that, like, my viewpoints and all this stuff are like, whoa, moderation, please! Exhibit moderation! So and I think what makes people uncomfortable is that people are very ideologically enthralled with decentralization. And people want to believe that all these altcoin projects are decentralized just like Bitcoin is. But actually, to run a big project like this, if it's not Bitcoin, which kind of amazingly and elegantly does run without like a Zuko-like
1: figure, uh, arguably, it,
0: yeah, arguably. I guess what I think makes people uncomfortable. I mean, about there's this,
1: still like you know, there's still like Bitcoin Core and stuff like. Yeah, that. yeah, 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 yeah. But but I think what makes people uncomfortable
0: here is that it makes you realize that maybe Zcash and Ripple aren't like such distant cousins.
1: I would argue that that's true.
0: That actually, Zcash is maybe a little more like a startup and a little less like Bitcoin. Yeah, I agree. Crypto
1: moderates, though. Are we,
0: I don't know. This is something I want to talk about with you.
1: Okay. Are we like the people in the New York Times and Washington Post op-ed who are Calling out for civility, <laughs>
0: <laughs> decency. We need a return to decency.
1: If Zuko gets like kicked out of a restaurant because the chef is a Monero stan, are we going to be like, you could not have this happen in a civilized society? uh yes, yes. We that might be a, that, that might actually, be our role. okay. You know what? That might be a role. <laughs> I, look, I, whether you're an extremist
0: or a moderate depends on the like environment. I don't think I'm a moderate in most environments. But in crypto, I'm constantly like, "Everyone, calm down." Yeah, like yeah. that. We don't need to entirely destroy the world here. We it don't is, have
1: to. It is a good indication that you and I, who in our other worlds are seen as some as being unhinged trolls, at least one of us. Yeah, and I'm talking about me. Am I- I'm squarely a moderate in the crypto world, which I think is actually an accurate. Uh, yeah. Trail.
0: So when I was talking to uh Seveden Amus, when we were talking to Savadin, who is decidedly not a moderate, yeah, you know, he hates altcoins for the most part. He thinks they're all shit coins. And I wanted to push him on like, okay, some of them are obviously shit coins, but like, why is z Zcash a shit coin or one of these top 20 coins? And his explanation is that For the most part, he has lots of criticisms, but one of his central criticisms is that they're run by these cults of personality and that if that cult of personality, whether it's a Zuko or a Vitalik, uh, either disappears or is in some ways uh, loses their status, that the coins, all of the value proposition of the coin is locked up in in this single person single yeah. point of failure
1: so like the per- or if the person gets in an airplane crash or something right. like that there was
0: like a fake vitalik car crash square yeah. uh, and it's like what happens to ethereum if vitalik uh, dies in a car crash yeah. or like repudiates decentralization and says it was a mistake you know like there's a million ways that unforeseen events could happen but i think what's the most interesting to me about bitcoin is that it does not have that fake gear.
1: well it Does, but it is protected by several layers of mystery and anonymity. Yeah,
0: it's like kind of like the Jesus myth. It's like Jesus was here, he's probably coming back, but you can't talk to him right now.
1: Yeah, so you might as well believe in what we're telling you. Yes, because he's coming someday.
0: And I think it's one of the reasons that Bitcoin has been so powerful and so hard to dethrone. It's really like a great foundational myth, and every time where you would reach a fork in the road and the so-called leader would have to make a centralized decision about where we're going the community just has to figure it out themselves because you can't ask satoshi
1: yeah yeah so are you aware of anything about like the history of the mormon church
0: uh yeah i've read the john krakauer book about okay so
1: i'm going i did not read that book i am instead going off of my 11th grade american history class but joseph smith it was like taking people west, right, to the promised land. Another so way have,
0: to describe uh, it was he is taking people west because they kept getting kicked out of towns because yes. they were scammers. But they were moving in a westward direction. Okay, that's
1: all I'm saying. Yes. All right. Let's not be pedants here. <laughs> 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 uh, and he said that he had tablets, right? And yes, on those tablets, they're, they're like behind a, a secret wall. And nobody could see them. Well, he
0: he had, like, a translator. He had to, like, yeah, look in his okay. hat to see to but see. But the tablets
1: didn't exist, most likely.
0: Well, they existed. First, his wife, like, destroyed the first transcription of them, and then they did it again.
1: Okay. But and then that, no one saw them. That nobody could see them, and when people would say, can we see them, he would say no. And at some point, I believe, again, according to 11th grade yeah. history class... That somebody snuck in, and that he said that, God, and they said there's no tablets here. And he said that God had warned him that somebody was going to sneak in so that he had moved them or something yes. like that, right?
0: I would describe Joseph Smith's entire life as a sequence of events like this, where it's like, no, like I wasn't scamming, I was. <laughs> ball of smoke moves to a town one town over yeah it's
1: like waiting for guffman where where they feel like they think that they're in uh they think they're in california but they haven't really reached it there. basically <laughs> yes yeah that's how i see the satoshi thing right where there's no way to confirm anything there's no way to know what's real yes and so you can have blind faith in it as long as nobody knows what it is and that if the truth comes out no matter how spectacular, it will most likely be disappointing and that will most likely hurt the Bitcoin economy. Yeah, like, economy.
0: how would Christianity deal with Jesus actually coming
1: back? Well, we'd all be dead because it's a rapture. How would, how would Mormonism deal with, like,
0: the actual, like, appearance of those tablets?
1: Uh, I think in that one, you also, everybody is dead. Yeah. I guess I'm saying... It's all very, like, Heaven's Gate, where, at yeah. like, the end is everybody's dead.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. It's, like, the entire run of Mormonism or Christianity on Earth is up till the point of the person reappears. And I in my opinion, nothing could be worse for Bitcoin than the reappearance of Satoshi. It'd be so bad. It'd be so I would sell like I would be like, I could not sell fast enough <laughs> if a guy was on like CNBC.
1: It's like, we found Satoshi. I'd be like,
0: sell!
1: You'd be I I feel like you would not be fast enough. I feel like there's trigger releases on that just for that. Like the 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 value of Bitcoin would probably fall what, like 60, 70 percent. I
0: mean, it's totally unpredictable. I think there's some people who would would say it'll go up. Now no, that I we don't. Can put a name. People, I think those people are wrong. I, I can think of several factors that inform my feeling that it would go down. When I think about like the BCH fork and and the whole period of Bitcoin forks, that whole time, if Satoshi was like a real person that we could talk to, people would have been saying, "So should we like two X or not two X? It was your idea." Yeah. Like, every petty squabble within the community would ultimately fall to Satoshi. Every time there was a scare about, like, people buying drugs with, you know, there would be a movements to throw Satoshi in jail, uh, to confiscate his pre-mined funds, he would have to deal with the tax situation of, we know that you pre-mined a million coins. <laughs> <laughs> Your tax bill is more than the GDP. of the, Like, I mean, these are, like, really big issues that would come up if satoshi reappeared no
1: yeah yeah also i think that most people would probably be really not thrilled with figuring out who he was i mean like the whole mystery part of it goes away right like the the once the the elegance of bitcoin everything that we think was made by a super genius you know goes away the second that you see some dude on tv and he's talking to like some TV anchor or something yeah. like that. And like you're like, oh, this person might not be that smart. Now, it might be unfair or something like that, but you know, people will lose their face almost immediately. Right now, like he is seen as this mythic genius figure. Like there's no way that you can w- hold that up the second that you go public.
0: Yeah, I think that the immediately there's so many ways to interpret Satoshi that in his absence, we can maintain all of those interpretations. So you and I can be like Bitcoin moderates. People can be like uh, Mad Max, Scorched Earth, Bitcoin, Gold Standard fans. And I don't know if we can all coexist peacefully, but at least each person can think that they have the right ideas. And yeah, it's a little bit like if Jesus came back, we'd be like, so which one was right? Protestantism or the Jedi? Tell us which one of the sects had it right here. Calvinism. And probably within like a day, like, would like re-murder Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think Satoshi would be destroyed by reappearing, and one of the reasons I think that Satoshi is really smart is because he hasn't reappeared. Okay, so absolute I- right decision. You,
1: I'm going to hold you to what you said before. So, what is the scenario where Bitcoin goes up if Satoshi is revealed? Ah, uh, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, w- what if it's Elon Musk?
0: I feel yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think if it was Elon Musk Bitcoin, goes people are like,
1: "Whoa, it was no, Elon I Musk,
0: like buy Bitcoin." <laughs> Maybe a year ago, I actually can see Wall Street. Like, I remember when I ha- interviewed our interview with a surprisingly reasonable Ripple fan. He's a banker, right? He's like a finance guy, and he's like, "I was always uncomfortable with the fact that like Satoshi was like anonymous. Like people don't really know who behind this project." I think that actually Wall Street could potentially react positively towards the reappearance of Satoshi if. Satoshi, you don't think so? I don't. I don't believe that you even think that. Well, you're, we're assuming that Satoshi is like got like 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 purple hair
1: and is like a
0: like sex no repotor. no no, no. no? I, Yeah, I'm
1: I'm I'm picturing him as like a overweight slovenly dude. Oh, okay,
0: I was picturing him more as like shingy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> There's no one in the Bitcoin space who is like Jingy at all. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. We, he's not
0: someone we know about. So you think he's basically like a Nick Sabo, Hal Finney type. Like a nerdy dad, probably. Yeah, he's Gavin definitely a Drees. nerdy dad. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. I agree, but you don't think Wall Street would like a nerdy dad? No. Yeah, no. probably not. No. no.
1: I think they would prefer Jingy.
0: <laughs> so like, I, I think finding Satoshi has always been the most interesting Bitcoin mystery for journalists. Yeah,
1: for me, it's what got me in a Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, I think it it draws a lot of people in. There's a lot of depth to the mystery. Bitcoin's elegance as a system is really fascinating to me. And then you can't say this is an elegant, fascinating system and not be interested in who made that.
1: Yeah, so as a journalist, I'll just say that there are very few mysteries that are this big that are unsolved. That have been Agre- this unsolved. Actually, it is probably the only one. What? Is, yeah. What? Of, like the Zodiac pre-Bitcoin, fucking killer. Yeah. Pre
0: Bitcoin, but like, okay, so Zodiac, Like, there's a lot of like, who killed this person? But outside of violence, are there other like great artists, great um, creators who have remained anonymous? Who's the most famous okay. anonymous person? Well, I've here, been?
1: this this is a distinguishing factor why the Satoshi thing is so interesting, which is yep. that. Uh, there are other anonymous things, right? Like who made the Rosetta Stone or something like that. Yeah, who made Stonehenge? Who made Stonehenge? Like these are or like where did those uh Clay Thompson heads show up on Easter Island? Like who made that? You know, there's a lot
0: of mysteries around Clay Thompson.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Who made Clay Thompson? Who sent those toasters (laughs) back in time and got him to sign them? (laughs) Point being, every single other mystery has almost no data. Yeah, the thing about the Satoshi mystery is that there are these emails there are there there's a ton of people who interacted with this person yes all of that is public you anybody can find almost all the message board stuff yeah so there is a sense that there is enough data that that you should be able to figure this out but nobody has been able to so that's why for journalists i think it's so interesting because you feel like you're almost there but you're not you know and you can't figure out why And so you can go like, like our good friend and former guest, Adrian Chen, who has been thinking about this for many years and who is one of, I would say in terms of like figuring shit out, weird shit out in the internet, probably the best journalist out there, you know? And like, that's why these types of things drive people crazy or journalists crazy because we can't figure out why we can't figure it out.
0: Well, I think that, um, this happening in the modern era, makes it even that much more exciting. Like. It makes sense that it's hard to figure out who painted a masterpiece in the renaissance. Yeah, There's yeah, been yeah. so much decay and also things weren't recorded in the same way. Everything that Satoshi did, the white paper, the actual code for Bitcoin, the message board posts, that's all perfectly preserved. It hasn't decayed at all. Yeah. And so the only way, like really all we have to go on are the is this text, like these like little lines of text. So the main way, and I think, Adrian talked about this when he was on the show. It seems like the best lead for Satoshi is to match his writing style. Well,
1: like, that, I mean, many people have tried to do that. The best case for Nick Sabo always was that it was similar writing styles, but then there would be times where Satoshi would use Briticisms Yeah. and people didn't really quite understand that. Should we just get to the thing that we're talking about? Sure. Yeah, okay, so uh, a few days ago on the internet, there was a news site that was anonymously registered through uh, Amazon Web Services. it's called the Nakamoto, Nakamoto Family Foundation. And there was one post on it which was explaining that this person who was purporting to be Satoshi was now going to be writing a book. Yeah. And that they had posed, they wanted to alert people that there was an excerpt of that book that was going to be available and you can just click on it. It's a PDF. Anybody can read it right now. Bloomberg, ran a story about this and i think the title of something was like has the mysterious creator of bitcoin written a book yeah if you came to it through the
0: bloomberg story it seemed like maybe legit yeah like was... it wasn't like some crank is pretending for satoshi it was like we may have found out who satoshi is that was the i think that's am saying
1: a little bit too strongly but i think that both the fact that it was bloomberg which i think is a reputable organization and the fact that the It didn't say this probably isn't Satoshi. Yes, like that's about as far as they get. But that's pretty far. Yes, and so uh, what we have instead are about 21 pages in PDF of a first-person narrative, mostly of the early days of Bitcoin, purportedly written by Satoshi. Like I've mostly muted or unfollowed most of crypto Twitter to keep my own sanity recently. Like what what has the reaction been like in crypto Twitter?
0: I was surprised because. So the last time that someone did this, it was Craig Wright, right? Yeah. And I think the best account of the whole Craig Wright saga is John Lanchester's reporting and the London Review of Books. Highly recommend that if you missed that hilarious incident. But basically, to recap, uh, he spun, 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 waited, waited to the last second, and then couldn't really show the private keys that would have identified him as Satoshi. So Um, the standard for proof was established at that point as showing the private keys for the wallets of the original Bitcoin uh, mine, pre-mines.
1: Yeah, so for those who may have forgotten, it's two actually very good journalists, Andy Greenberg and Sam Biddle, both wrote stories at the time saying this might be Satoshi. Yeah, Australian guy, Craig Wright, who yep. if you're involved in crypto at all, you know who he is. And they published, and eventually it turned out that there was one type of signature that Craig Wright could have provided that would have easily proven he was Satoshi, but he could not provide that.
0: And he has a whole like raft of explanations for it that you can like look up online. If you're interested, uh, I feel pretty comfortable in saying that Craig Wright is not Satoshi and is also not behaving like someone who's Satoshi. Uh, And
1: What's his behavior like?
0: Uh, he's like a brash show offy Asshole ish. He is not acting like a person who like pulled himself off grid and
1: hid. Yeah. For a long else, time. Another person who has blocked me on Twitter, by the way. How do these people?
0: Are you on some sort of like a <laughs> universal block list? How do these people even find? Like, how does Craig Wright know enough about you to block? I'm sort of like flattered for the show yeah. Like, Greg too. Wright blocked you, but it also is probably like based on something completely different.
1: I don't really remember why. I, I'm blocked by a lot of people, and for most of them, I don't remember why. Like, so I like Kim Kawakami. Do you know who that is? He's a Bay Area sports yeah. reporter. He blocked me like on the second day that I was on Twitter in like 2009 or something like that. Yeah. And he's Well, you have a lot of me. like,
0: I'm sure people had grudges against you from before the Twitter era. They just uh, brought on, brought
1: into the electronics. I wasn't world. even
0: in media before the Twitter era, though. I mean, look, like, I don't know what you were like before Twitter, but like, I could see people like just being like, "Okay, who would I want to block? First block ever? Okay, JK <laughs> 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 Um
1: But Craig Wright, what? Like, if you had to put a percentage on the chances that Craig Wright is Satoshi, what would you put it at?
0: I would say, um, since we're in the World Cup here, I would have given craig wright like saudi arabia chances <laughs> to, win la- the whole thing. to win the whole thing and like nick sabo is like he's not he's not brazil but he is like belgium colombia belgium uh, yeah. Like, yeah yeah, like i think, like, I think he is like a like a 10 10 1 15 to 1 so about, uh, chance
1: yeah about belgium let's talk about this actual
0: text the, yeah the 21 pages so i was I surprised how many how much people i was sorry i didn't finish that thought yeah. which was just that there are people in the Twitter world who are vets, who are actually giving this some credence. This is just a general impression from, like, Glancing guys. A lot of people are making fun of it, as you would expect. A lot of people are like, this is ridiculous. It's not hard to pick apart, and I'm sure we are about to pick it apart. It's kind of a fascinating document, even as fiction.
1: We should say, I think, here, is yep. that any time that anyone says there's Satoshi the General... Reaction since Leah McGrath Goodman and Newsweek said that Dorian Nakamoto was Satoshi. It's all been derision, right? Yeah. Like everybody, nobody believes in. So, so it's not particularly hard or surprising that this was immediately dismissed. Yes. So.
0: But this is coming from a different angle, which is there's been a lot of people who've tried to unmask Satoshi. I file this with the Craig Wright because it's so, someone trying to like call their own shot as Satoshi.
1: All right. So we've both read it. Yeah. I'm going to give my case for why I think it is Satoshi. Wow. Yeah, and I th- let me caveat. this Now you by may a... want
0: to turn down the volume <laughs> in your phone because this take is going to come in a little
1: hot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't necessarily believe this, but I but as while reading it, some thoughts did pop to my head. Right? Okay. Okay. The first is that the writing style that this is in is very loose. It yeah. resembles nothing of the white paper. It is essentially like a di- a series of diary entries written by, I would say, like a somewhat stoned, maybe like a college student. It reminds
0: me a little bit more of like when someone's dad sends a really long email, and it's like the formatting's a little all over the place. <laughs> the
1: formatting is weird. It's yeah. kind of
0: like, oh, and another thing. Oh, and I also, your mom said, blah blah blah. Oh, yeah. and also, it's like it, do- it does not appear to have been edited yeah, it keeps re- now very
1: stream of consciousness.
0: It's referred to as an excerpt. Now, uh, both of us have uh, crossed paths with the publishing industry. I used to work in publishing. This is not actually an excerpt. That is not correctly identifying what this is. An excerpt is when you take an entire book and publish a chapter of it or some subset of it. This is more of like a scattered pitch for it's like the book sampling.
1: closer to an outline. So it's not a contiguous excerpt, but it's, like, different parts of it. It's not linear at all. I find it hard to believe that if this is somebody who is trying to mimic the style of writing of Satoshi Nakamoto, in both the many emails he sent, in the white paper itself, in all the correspondences on forums that they would write it in this style. Because any normal person who is trying to mimic a style will look at the source text and be like, hey, I should make it kind of look like that, right? Whatever things that are used in that real source text, I'm going to put in this because people will match A to A and they'll say, hey, this is a real thing. This has so little resemblance to anything that Satoshi has ever written. And in fact, it is so bizarrely stream of consciousness That I find it almost impossible to believe that anybody, the person who wrote this, was actually uh, referring to the source material at all. And so that leads me to two conclusions. The first is that this is a one of the many, many people who I would chair, who you know are a little bit off, who have emailed every journalist who has ever been involved in in trying to find Satoshi and to say there, Satoshi. I used to get these calls as well because I wrote about Satoshi a little bit. Adrian gets one a month, I think and that this person has basically just registered a website and then taken some of the facts and written all this out. Or I would say that it's actually Satoshi because the only person who would not really care if he sounded like the old Satoshi is the person who says, actually, I don't need to worry about that because I actually am Satoshi.
0: Okay, I don't want to agree with you, but there are certain parts of your logic I do agree (laughs) with. Here's one of them, which is uh, I grew up in Berkeley, California. And many of my uh, friends' parents were uh, famous academics, uh, well known thinkers, people who published books. And there's something that happens to people when they get on email or they're supposed to be like writing a long document that they don't really understand the, like, the accepted formatting of, where pe- when people get loose, they can get really loose. <laughs> like, I know people whose parents are like, have like, been like Nobel Prize contenders. And I've seen emails from them that would you would be like, that is not this, that's not the same guy. Yeah, the person is
1: <laughs> illiterate. <laughs> and this has a
0: little bit of that flow. Like, you know, when people will be like, oh, that's a great idea. You should write a book about that. And you're like, oh, come on, that's not a good idea for a book. This is written like someone who doesn't know how to write down <laughs> the idea for a book. It's just a bunch of like reminiscences and like grievances, like scattered. It's like keeps trying to sort of react to it's like. I know you're thinking that Satoshi is a real name, but it's not. It's like no one thinks it's a real name. Yeah, it has a weird tone that I would almost describe as like you know in a movie trailer when it's like, "That's me." I bet you're wondering how did I get into
1: this jam? Well, it's record scratch. Yeah, yeah. It it's like it's alike.
0: like, "Oops, I created
1: Bitcoin." The book. Yeah, well, that's my <laughs> okay, that's my general argument for it, which is essentially like if this was written like the white paper, I would say that it's most likely fake because who really writes that way? It's so, like, nobody writes in that dense sort of way when they're like, oh, yeah, and then I met Hal Finney, and Hal emailed me, and we had a, you He's know. He's a great guy. Yeah, Harold I really <laughs> <It's> like yeah. Hal. It's like, clearly no one's edited this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it seems like everything is kind of, it, it feels like somebody just wrote this down loosely, and that Look, some of the details are very specific, but the thing is, you know, and ultimately I think what will send this all crashing down to earth is that all the details that are in there that seem like they might be revelatory are things that can be easily cross-referenced and taken back. In terms of the differences in writing style, which I think we'll get into, there is an explanation in this book for that, which is that whoever this author is says that when he was trying to disguise himself as Satoshi... He would purposefully do things like add in criticisms and stuff like that, so to throw people off the scent. And they would write in different styles. So, my question would be, and I think this goes to something that you're talking about with the people that you know who are generally illiterate over email, but are great writers when it comes to the specific academic format. Yeah. Like, is it possible that Satoshi now, you know, ten years later? Trying to rem- reminisce all of this and dropping all of the pretensions is just writing in his natural style, and that all the other things were written in a way to try and disguise his identity.
0: Uh, I don't think that's possible, but I think it's a funny scenario. Like in that timeline, I guess Satoshi is like in the Barbados, drunk on the beach, writing <laughs> yeah, that, exactly. and has been like living off of like the massive <laughs> proceeds, not of the pre mine wallet where nothing's ever moved, but some other secret wallet that has say 10,000 Bitcoin in it. Okay, there's a few things that you have to at least make the case for me like why this is true. So I used to be a ghostwriter. I worked in publishing and then I was hired by the publishing company to write several business books. So I think I'm like a pretty good identifier of style. These are so clearly written in a different style that I'm not clear how this person could have written the white paper unless they had help. And this, there's a weird level. I don't know if you noticed this across the course of the document, but anytime that there's something that where something new could actually be revealed, he's like, this will be in the book.
1: Yeah. Like anytime that there's like, that's a call to tease. Well, it's a tease,
0: but it's like, if you were really teasing the book, wouldn't you want to throw people one bone? That's like something that people genuinely did not know that is verifiable. And also, he seems to be writing this as if he's responding to someone noticing all the flaws in it. He's like, at one point he says, I must admit, though, that I noticed my style of writing has changed slightly in the years since. I don't double space like before.
1: It's like that, if you see that document, it was based off a uh, David Grad story about that that 30-year-old man in in Spain who pretended to be like a kidnapped 10-year-old. Oh, yeah, totally, yeah, the, yeah. the imposter. imposter yeah. yeah,
0: it has a little of that. It has a yeah. little bit of like, I know you'll have problems with this story, but bear with me while I, like, give you a concocted reason why all of them are irrelevant.
1: So does that mean I'm right now the family that took it the 30-year-old and continued to believe that it was their long-lost child?
0: Yes, uh, I think that that is you. I- I'll say, to your credit, I do think when people are, like, responding to criticism and, like, a whole, like, period where they've gone silent, they can come back kind of like, oh, blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah, blah.
1: Guess Bad. what? Like, guess what? Rich people do when they are rich and not doing anything. They look at the internet for people <laughs> who are criticizing them, and then they build up long lists of grievances against those people that are criticizing like, them. One of the... like you wouldn't think that's true, but that is almost universally true.
0: Like, there's a part where he talks about he's like, I didn't get all of my ideas into Bitcoin, like smart contracts. I wanted to include that. It was, like, him preemptively being, yeah, like, Vitalik be like, ripped me off. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> that also seems real to me. Yeah. Like, okay, so, like, for example, like, sports example. If you were to read, if you, in 1998, say, you were to read a n- transcript of Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame speech in which, basically, it is a long list of Michael Jordan responding to people who, like, criticized him and who he thought were, like, you know, his enemies at the time in 1998 and throughout his entire career, Michael Jordan didn't have any real enemies, you know? So this is a person who is constructing enemies and saying, I vanquished all of you. Would you have believed that that was really Michael Jordan? No way. You know, you'd be like, Michael Jordan, the Michael Jordan I know is like a uh, corporate guy. He's very careful about what he says. He's very likable. He's the guy from Space Jam. You would not think like this is an unhinged person who like basically is only motivated by spite. (laughs) So that also makes me think, It might be real, you know, like the idea that that Satoshi after 10 years and having created Bitcoin would now be like the exact same person and write in like weird, like Gnostic, almost impenetrable, like finance and crypto talk. It just doesn't make sense to me. Like, I actually think if Satoshi were to write a book, which I don't think he is, I think it would maybe sound something like this.
0: I'm going to follow you here and say, "What if this is real? If this is real, I'm glad
1: I'm working. Why? Why,
0: if you're Satoshi, do you go dark for the better part of a decade and then reappear in this manner? What, like, what (laughs) would possibly motivate?
1: Well, I can't answer that question. He does answer why he went dark, which is that he was really worried about Bitcoin being destroyed, but also him personally being destroyed because he was correctly identifying it as a potential threat. Right. And I think that he is right. And, you know, you've said this on the show before. It's something that we talked to Safidine about as well, which is that Saifedean was thought that Bitcoin wasn't going to work because he thought that they would just throw everyone in jail, yes. you know? And that once Silk Road happened and they didn't throw everyone in jail, they just threw DPR in jail, that he was like, oh, maybe this thing has legs. So that's his reason for giving going dark. Now, as to why you would reveal yourself in a self-published book in which you're teasing... On a website and saying, uh, bu- you know, basically doing it the most like uh, weird, scammy, teasery, Kickstartery way. I have no idea. I can't answer that question. Is he charging for the book?
0: I, I don't think the book exists. I, I think this is everything that exists in the book. This excerpt is not the product of someone who wrote a whole book and then wanted to put part of it online. This <laughs> is like true, is someone true. who like wrote like a long like single spaced <laughs> word document like the day before something was due and sent it in as an unformatted email. It has sentences that are like don't make sense at a sentence level.
1: I mean, I'm not as concerned about the the lack of editing. I'm more concerned about this idea that half of this post seems to be trying to explain why his writing style is so <laughs> bad
0: <laughs> but hey who knows here's my biggest reason why i think that this is not a satoshi there's a thousand reasons yeah but this one's central which is satoshi developed an elegant innovative system of trustless commerce where two people can both agree on something It's veracity without a trusted intermediary third party. If he, Satoshi, was really like coming back online now, I think that he would recognize that the audience would need a verifiable, like trustless piece of third party proof to accept it. I think that the first thing he would do would be like
1: That's the biggest problem that you well, have I with think that it. I
0: think that the very first thing he would think was how do I think about this like a like a computer scientist, like a person who created Bitcoin Why would I lead with 20,000 words of like, I remember my old friend, Hal Finney, when I could just post the keys like at the front of it and prove it was me and then explain the whole thing. It just seems strange to backload all of the truth.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that. But I... I... Bitcoin's
0: about about don't trust verify. Okay. And this whole thing is like very Joseph Smithy. It's like, only I can look inside the hat. (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay but uh to to continue with my take right yeah to respond to that as the believer yeah i would say that that type of confidence also makes me think that he's real mm. like you know he's just like fuck it it's me who do, like wh- who cares if they don't believe me yeah he it might be that he is prov- he's like trying to do some huge reveal here like here's the other question i have right this was an anonymously created site called the nakamoto family foundation right yeah and it was created on AWS, and suddenly it appears on Bloomberg, and then everyone in crypto is talking about it. How is this found? If you type in Nakamoto Satoshi Bitcoin, there's hundreds of thousands of pages of garbage, you know? Like, it's not like somebody with a Google alert for Satoshi Nakamoto was going to get this, you know? Like, it, how is this found? You know it's another
0: great uh, historical uh, corollary to this? Is the uh, fake Howard Hughes uh, autobiography? I don't know. What is that? Basically, like a journalist claimed that Howard Hughes had like brought him into his inner circle and given a bunch of like secret extended interviews to write a like secret autobiography. This is like during the like final days of Howard Hughes when he was like a recluse. Yeah. And this guy published, I think his name is Clifford Irving. And it was ultimately debunked, I believe, by a woman that Clifford Irving was having an affair with. It was like he did not ever meet Howard Hughes. This is all totally fact. He like basically wrote a fake autobi- autobiography and then sold it for like a two million dollar advance and published it. Oh, and it wow. was totally bogus. But much like this, it's probably more entertaining than an actual autobiography of Howard <laughs> Hughes would have been. You know, like the actual autobiography actually would probably would have been like this. It would have just been a bunch of fucking grudge settling. Yeah. But you know, it was like this vibrant, like wild autobiography that Clifford Irving had largely strung together through publicly available information. So he did a similar act, which is he took things that we all knew, people already knew to be true and strung them together as if they were secrets.
1: Well, okay. Uh, here's another similar corollary in the literary world, which is that nobody really knows if J.D. Salinger actually had books that he was writing for the 40 years that he was in seclusion yeah some people think he didn't do anything and some people say that they saw vaults of books right and J.D. Salinger has been dead five years now or six years and nobody still knows Mm -hmm. and there if some of these things leaked out and you said that this was the text of J.D. Salinger there's actually no way to corroborate whether it's real or not because the last thing that J.D. Salinger published was this thing called Hapworth 1924 which is an almost incomprehensibly bad story that re- does not resemble anything else that came before. And it was because J.D. Salinger had gotten so into like, Mahayana Buddhism that the only thing he wanted to write about was Buddhism. And so like, the story doesn't matter. There are no more characters. No character has any sort of motivation except thinking about the Buddha. So there's no way, I think, reliably to say that this thing does not look like the thing that happened 10 years ago and therefore it must not be real.
0: Yes, I agree with that.
1: Okay. So that that throws out a lot of the debunking that's been going on right now because people have already started on the internet. I, I did look into this a little bit. They're trying to do like match up things with like algorithms and things like that to say like this writing style is not like the writing style that happened before.
0: And I think Craig Wright has tried to dispute the chronology of when he met the different early players. yeah, yeah, like yeah, Mike yeah. Herne, He said all the dates are Gavin Andresen, yeah. like he was like, no, Gavin was before Mike Hearn, which like I, I can't comment on, but that would be one way you could criticize it.
1: And Mike Hearn is featured a lot in this, right? Yeah. And Mike Hearn, who was one of the early people who worked on Bitcoin, Mike Hearn could just come out and say whether or not this is real or not. But as far as I know, Mike Kern hasn't hasn't a uh, on this at all. Is well, Mike Hearn alive? Yeah, I think
0: he, yeah, I, I think Hal Finney is the only person who's not still alive. Well, that the and Florida. the other
1: guy who was like a police officer, who right? Right? Died right? Of, like, the guy right, in Florida, yeah, would who would have
0: been the the Craig Wright partner? Yeah. yeah. So uh, I was a little surprised by some of the tone. He says, "I want to state something that I am sure Mike will agree with me on." And that is that Bitcoin started, as most things do, a love, a, a idea, a dream. Yeah. That is not how I thought Satoshi would talk about Bitcoin. <laughs> that is like some like fast company, how I did it kind of talk. It's yeah. like, you've always got to believe in your dreams. When I came up with the idea of Bitcoin, lots of people told me it'll never work. But I believed in myself. <laughs> that is not the tone of Satoshi.
1: I, can, I, I feel pretty clearly. Okay, so here's a follow-up question for yeah. you. All right. If this is Satoshi, right? And yep. Satoshi now is this guy. What happens to the value of Bitcoin if, if people can confirm this is Satoshi? Well, okay. I'm gonna
0: I'm gonna give a, a a segue into that. So this comments almost nothing on the entire period that Satoshi has gone dark, which is basically the public history of Bitcoin. Yeah. This does not talk about the B Cash fork. This does not talk about price action. It does not talk about exchange manipulation. It doesn't talk about Mount Gox. It's basically got a black hole. And you could say, well, that's all going to be in the book, but none of it's here. It's almost like someone wrote this intentionally to like not talk about an entire period of time. And as a result, and it's an extremely unideological discussion. I would expect that like a real Satoshi would be a little bit more like a Sefadin Amus, like someone who is deeply, deeply, passionately interested in economics and what Bitcoin has done for libertarian causes and for the cypherpunk causes. And really, that's not very much in here. This is like a person who's just kind of like, it was such a cool project and it's grown so much without... You know, it's it's a, it's a very cheery take on the history of Bitcoin.
1: I kind of believe that that's also maybe how the real Satoshi would sound. So if you
0: ask me what would... A, the appearance of Satoshi due to the to Bitcoin, and this is actually Satoshi, <laughs> which is just like a guy who can like write like a Ink Magazine like ent- like how I made it as an <laughs> entrepreneur and open source software piece. I think uh, I think that could be good for Bitcoin. No, it
1: definitely <laughs> is not good for Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> Satoshi seems to be <laughs> like
0: this is kind of the like Richard Branson take on Satoshi and <laughs> <lot>, all that. <laughs>
1: I don't know. Look, I, we should say that neither of us believe this is actually Satoshi. However, no. I I think I'm much closer to believing him that this is him than you are.
0: I think if Satoshi wants Bitcoin to survive, he'll never reappear. And everything I know about Satoshi has led me to believe Satoshi is a pretty smart, canny person who's pretty careful. And this does not seem like the a- actions of a canny, careful person.
1: There are details, right, in this that do seem like, you know... Craig Wright says that these details are wrong, you know, but Craig Wright, like Craig Wright also is a liar, you know? And so like, there are ways that you can follow the trail of all of this. And I do think that some people are probably doing right now. I actually read a couple of them, but people tend to default towards the same things. Like we were talking about, like trying to match the writing style, et cetera, et cetera, to debunk this. I actually think that's a bad way to do it. I don't think we'll actually know the question of whether or not this is real or not. And right now I'd say I'm about 2%. I think this is real. Until the next excerpt comes out,
0: that's an, that's interesting. I generally think that a lot of the forensic techniques people use in these, like trying to match people's writing, is pretty flawed. Like, oh yeah, I would liken it to like the blood splatter analysis in the staircase, where yeah. it's like, yeah, there's like certain things you can read into it, but the idea that it's like one to one, like DNA testing, yeah, uh, it's not. Like that's not how these things work. Particularly once you inject like layers of editing. Over the top, or if someone's like imitating an academic, academic writing style, there's just a lot of factors. I even think with the chronology, if I were to find out factually that he met Gavin Andreessen before he met Mike Hearn, that would not dissuade me from believing this was Satoshi. This was all like a decade ago. Do you remember like exactly like what? sequence of like your work history happened 10 years
1: ago i remember almost nothing 10 years ago we're talking
0: about uh 2008 jay what were you doing in 2008 straight off right off top of your head what were you doing
1: um i was surfing every day in san francisco and i was teaching a half schedule at a private school high school english i think (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's right I, I was like i think i was ghost writing then but that could have also been 2009 two thousand and seven. No yeah. this may be like particularly if satoshi has been like drinking that sweet barbados rum the whole time <laughs> like he may have very little recollection because yeah. he's like i don't know I, I started my computer mining
1: like uh Like, uh, who knows? I can't even remember when we decided to do this podcast. And it was like a year ago. (laughs) Is it
0: also possible that Satoshi is not a crypto nerd and hasn't been following along closely? (laughs) That's like, like, if you just got super rich and you were like, my whole idea was to make the software in the white paper. Like, I, you know, I'm not into like day trading or anything like that. You could actually imagine a scenario in which Satoshi like it's like, I don't really pay attention to Bitcoin anymore. The same way like former pro-athlete, like, some like, guys who are like, I used to be in the NBA, and they're like, I don't really watch basketball anymore. Another thing is, if this is Satoshi, Satoshi has not been able to tell people that he's Satoshi, right? So probably Satoshi is living, let's say he's most likely living with a spouse, and what are the chances that your spouse is also into crypto nerd shit? Very low,
1: hopefully. Very if low. I
0: was Satoshi, my <laughs> wife would still be like, Shut up about the Bitcoin, <laughs> yeah, it's like, it'd be
1: like our wives, <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Like, there's no reason to believe, like, okay, who was Satoshi? He was 14 when he got into cypherpunk stuff, okay. So that means he graduated, he graduated from high school around 1998. If that's true, he's my age, he's your age. So in 2008, he was like 30 ish, he was a 30 ish working in academic programming, computer science, cryptography kind of stuff, maybe.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, who's that person married to? Probably not another cryptographer.
1: Hopefully not.
0: Probably, like, someone in a university town, someone who worked for the university or whatever. And all of his contact about the Bitcoin project is online as this alter ego. At most, maybe a small handful of people he knows do this. Those people are probably out into Bitcoin. He may not have had A bunch of in-depth conversations with people who are really into Bitcoin. He probably doesn't go to Bitcoin conferences.
1: One would hope he doesn't go to Bitcoin conferences. I mean, like, I I actually and this I think is true, right? Like I think if Satoshi saw what, you know, like the for example, like this Jack's Liberty party on the yacht that was giving away the Aston Martin, yeah, he'd be fucking horrified. Yes. You know, like he'd be like,
0: I'm burning all of my private keys, (laughs) I fucking like, is, like, I want nothing to do with this. I'm so sorry for what I have wronged. Yeah. He'd probably, like, Oppenheimer talking about the atomic bomb. <laughs> yeah. He'd be like, after I saw the Jack's Liberty Cruise Party, I decided to destroy Bitcoin. Or it's like,
1: yeah. it's like McNamara talking about Vietnam. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't... So, look... We've made a very compelling case together as to why this is Satoshi based. I think you kind of convinced me. What you and I would do if we were really, really rich.
0: I think the the most, if I were looking for Satoshi right now, and we got to we had to get Adrian back on the show and do another detective episode and see if he's got any updates for us. Because if anyone's going to figure it out, it's going to be Adrian. Thinking less about who was Satoshi when he made Bitcoin, and thinking more about. What has Satoshi been doing during the run of Bitcoin? I think it's an interesting way to go about it. If Satoshi is as smart as I think Satoshi is, Satoshi knows that reappearing would be terrible for Bitcoin, probably destroy his own life, and could even land him in jail, depending on how this all goes. So, someone who these are people who are obsessed with OPSEC, right? The best OPSEC is don't tell anyone, don't reappear. That makes me think it's not Nick Sabo. That makes me think it's not even Hal Finney or, or someone who is intimately evolved. Cause I feel like if those people were Satoshi and they were smart, they would not have anything more to do publicly to do with like crypto. Cause that would obviously incriminate them to do so.
1: Yeah. Well, that's why I think the best bet for who Satoshi was was always a list of like Hal Finney, Nick Sabo, Craig Wright way down, but like, yeah. you know, like the usual suspects. And then that there's a field bet, right? Like yes. somebody who we have no idea who it is. And the field bet was probably the best chance, like, of all of them. You know, like, it, it is somebody who nobody actually knows, who actually was able to obscure their identity for a long time. That was actually the only reason I thought, when I first started thinking about the Dorian Nakamoto story... Um, the Dorian Nakamoto thing kind of made sense to me, where I was like, "Oh well, maybe it is just somebody who was completely random," you know. And I still think that. But the that, best... one,
0: that wasn't someone who was random because it was someone who had the same name as the person.
1: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that, true. that small detail. That's what's wrong about all these theories.
0: It's always someone that there's something deeply wrong with. This scenario of a person who truly went dark and doesn't even know about crypto. The best opsec if you're Satoshi is to never even think about Bitcoin again.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and to not worry about it so that you don't feel like you need to weigh in on things like the uh, 2x fork. Yeah. Where you're like, "This might destroy my project, so now I have to weigh in." And you're just like, "No, you know what? I actually don't really even know what that that is, so I'm not going to worry about the it."
0: The crazy thing is that if Satoshi is who we think they are, which is a cypherpunk born in 1978, they are probably professionally getting shilled bitcoin all the time and are probably like living as a fake no coiner. It's like, ah, bitcoin won't work.
1: <laughs> Maybe it's Nuriel Rabini.
0: Yeah. Is there going to be another excerpt that comes out from this? Did they say anything about that?
1: I really hope so. I mean, I when when Nuraj, our friend, sent this to us, I didn't pay any attention to it, and then I started reading it, and then I was like, "Oh man, this is fucking weird." You know, and that's why I like it because it's weird.
0: This is unofficially our next book club book. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I think if it was cl- if it was more credible in the way that it was written, yeah. that I would believe it zero percent.
0: Yes, I'll say that one thing we've learned over and over again from scammers and crypto and otherwise is that the best scam is not always the scam that tries the hardest., yeah. the Nigerian scam isn't trying to reinvent the wheel with its copy. It's the same broken english i am a prince i need to get the money out like my family's gold bars story and there's something powerful about doing it, things that way there's something powerful about this
1: oh yeah yeah i mean i think that look i don't think people are really shitting on bloomberg for running with it i don't know i think it's interesting like if i was bloomberg's crypto editor i might i might have like kind of been like this 99 percent chance is not him yeah. But I think that's all I'd add. I think I would have run it. I you know, I wouldn't have been like, oh, this is just another random crank. I'd be like, hey, this is kind of interesting, you know? Like, probably not him, but it's worth looking at.
0: I think the fit the failed fiction writer and like stunt enthusiast in me is a little envious that I didn't think to write a fake autobiography of <laughs> Satoshi Nakamoto. <laughs> yeah. To imagine that like Satoshi Nakamoto is like toiling away at like nc state or something it's a really fascinating person to imagine
1: yeah yeah you know like maybe our bitcoin movie we should go more art housey that we should do like an adaptation type movie where we have like have you seen that woody allen movie new york stories which is like seven separate Yeah, yeah yeah we could do something like that where it's like seven different sketches of who satoshi could be
0: i thought you were going more of like a palindromes kind of thing where it's like seven different people play satoshi at yeah, different like stages of the that Satoshi too. story <laughs> yeah. all these low budget ideas i think are more achievable we need to build up to the mad max scorched earth <laughs> bitcoin so. dystopia movie go. with a few art house features <laughs> to establish our <laughs> reputation in the crypto movie making field <laughs> i don't think that's a good path man
1: <laughs> <laughs> i think all, <laughs> we'll make a small art house bitcoin it's <laughs> a movie that will bomb terribly <laughs> and then we'll be done
0: <laughs> um cool all right well um should we do another mailbag soon we've been getting some mailbag
1: yeah let's do a mailbag
0: okay send us mailbag stuff it's a uh, high at show. This
1: episode of Coin Talk was taped Tuesday, July 3rd at 3pm Eastern Standard Time. The Bitcoin price index was $6,572.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to Coin Talk. I'm Aaron Lammer. I was joined by Jay Kang. Thanks to our editor, James Nicholson. Thanks to our friends and partners over at Medium. They have every episode of Coin Talk, including transcripts. That is Jay wrestling Chinese food in the background. We will be back uh, next week. Send us your mailbag questions. Uh, We're going to do a mailbag show very shortly. That's hi at cointalk.show. You can also send us an email there if you'd like to sponsor the show. All right. Thanks for listening.